Mom, what's today? That's a question pretty much all of us parents hear on a daily basis. Hey there, I'm Andrea Jung, mom, wife, friend, Duluthian, and owner of Duluth Mom. Some days I love this question, and some days I don't. So we're going to talk about it. Each episode of this podcast will feature something related to friendship and community, parenting, and life in the Northland. Join me as we unpack the answers to the question, what's today? Today, you will get to listen in on a conversation that I had with Dr. Carly Udland, a pediatric hospitalist at St. Luke's Hospital in Duluth, Minnesota. I asked local moms what their questions were about RSV, and I had the chance to have the questions answered by Dr. Carly herself. So welcome, Dr. Carly. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thanks. I'm excited. I actually weirdly love talking about RSV and it takes up a good six months of my year. I spend most of the time talking about it. Wow, Six months. Well, I suppose winter is. Yeah, it kind of stretches yes. out. And uh, interestingly, with, with the last couple of years with COVID, we've actually seen a huge decrease in other mm. respiratory illnesses just because people have been so isolated and staying mm. away from each other. So this is the first year we've really seen it in its full force since kind of the COVID battle started what signs and symptoms do we look for and how do you know when the symptoms are bad enough to either visit the ER or call your primary care physician? Mm -hmm. Um, And then how long do symptoms last and how do you get tested for it? Yeah, all super good questions. So I think we can kind of answer them fairly quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. RSV or respiratory syncytial virus is a um, viral infection that usually in this part of the country spreads kind of between November and March or April. Um, This year it's hit us a little bit earlier, sort of started in October and is ramping up now. Um, And it's honestly, it's, it's right around, it's, it's very similar to all the other viral infections that we see this time of year. So we all think about flu, we think about COVID, we think about RSV. Those are kind of the really big three ones that are um, popularized in the news and that can make kids really sick. But there's other viruses, rhinovirus, enterovirus. There's Mm. just, innumerable (laughs) viruses that cause the same kinds of symptoms that we see with RSV. And those are all happening at the same time as well. So, you know, we specify and we say this patient has tested positive for RSV or for COVID. But we also what what we call it when we see these kids, usually kids who are like two and under who are having really severe respiratory symptoms where they're breathing really hard, coughing a ton. Um, We call that bronchiolitis. And that's just kind of the name that we give to patients who um, present with what sounds like an infection in their lower respiratory tract, kind of in their lower lungs. And, um, and that can be RSV is a frequent cause of it. It can also be rhinovirus, enterovirus. It can be some of the old school COVIDs, um, that aren't necessarily COVID-19. So there's, um, a lot of different viruses that we see out there that cause these same symptoms. So it's not RSV Mm. specifically, but RSV certainly is one of the ones that makes little kids pretty sick. Mm. Um, and just like all cold and flu viruses, they're spread from droplets that we sneeze out of our noses and cough onto things. Um, most of them live on surfaces for a little while. Um, so up to like several hours. And so, you know, if it's been in contact with somebody's runny nose secretions on their hands, and then you touch like the grocery cart and then your kids got their mouth on the grocery cart. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, very common. It's like a magnet. It just yeah, goes like right there. And yet the faces go right onto it. And so um, that's how these things are spread. It's it, They're spread just the same way that you think about, like, when we were learning so much about COVID and how that was spread, kind of the same thing. It's coughing, sneezing. It lives on surfaces for quite some time. Um, usually it means that you've got somebody else's germs or somebody else's virus has come out of their body on some secretion liquid form and has become absorbed into some of your mucous membranes. So it's super gross to think about, but um, <laughs> it's all the same kind of respiratory stuff. And, um, you know, it's so prevalent in the community right now, not just in Duluth. I mean, in, in the entire mm. country, I think we've all mm. heard the news reports about um, how bad things are going on the coasts in terms of um, huge amounts of hospitalizations. The entire state is struggling with being able to provide enough hospital beds for kids who are sick. So it's, it's a big problem right now. Yeah, that sounds like it. Thankfully, it hasn't hit our household. Knock yeah. on wood. But yeah. <laughs> my daughter's a little older. So is there, you mentioned like under two, it's more common, but is there like, can adults get RSV or pass it yeah. on or? Definitely. Yep. So we'll, well, I'll answer your question about testing. I forgot to answer. Yeah. Yeah. Talking, but, um, usually it's just a viral pathogen swab, similar to all the COVID mm -hmm. swabs that we were doing at home. I was talking to a friend recently and I don't think we actually have any home RSV tests. It would be interesting oh. to know. Um, but I am not aware of any kind of home RSV kits that we have, but it's a viral swab. Usually you'll either have, um, if you go to see a medical provider, they'll either swab your nose for um, RSV, flu, and COVID specifically, because those are the three that we know just really make kids sick. Or sometimes, um, and frankly, it often comes down to insurance questions, um, but sometimes they'll swab for like a full like 10 to 15 virus panel where we'll get the answer to all of the different viruses that your children could be exposed to. So those are the two main tests. Um, but like I said before, it's somewhat important what virus your kid actually has, RSV versus some of the other ones. But what we're, what what's really the most important is how your kid specifically is doing and what kind of symptoms you're, you're experiencing in your kid. Mm -hmm. So then the second part that you asked um, about kids and different age groups. So the... Um, RSV, anybody can get RSV, and probably all of us get it every one to two years. Um, in most of us, as we get older, our immune system has learned to recognize RSV. So as soon as it shows up on our mucous membranes, <laughs> on the doorstep there, as it were, <laughs> as soon as it shows up, um, your immune system gets to work fighting it. So if you or I get RSV, or when we get mm -hmm. RSV, <laughs> inevitably, <laughs> um, we, we might just have a few days of cold-like symptoms, like a little scratchy throat, a little bit of runny nose, some watery eyes, a little bit of headache, that kind of thing. And then it goes away mm -hmm. pretty quickly. With younger kids, part of the problem is that, um, especially in the first two years of life, um, their immune systems have never been exposed to this virus. And so it takes their body a very long time to mount a response against the virus itself. And so the virus basically just plays hopscotch starting at your nose and mouth and working its way down your respiratory tract and into the bottom mm. part of your body. And so the longer it's there and you know, the longer that it's there and un unaffected by your immune system, the, um, the lower into your respiratory tract it can go and the farther down into your lungs that the virus makes it typically the sicker the presentation mm -hmm. so that coupled with the fact that little kids are 
um, <laughs> so small and frail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it doesn't take long for it to travel. Yeah. Yes, yeah. they, don't have, they don't have as much reserve, you know, and they're, they're just, mm -hmm. they're just smaller. And when they get sick, it kind of takes them out pretty hard. So um, the mm -hmm. most severe group in terms of RSV infections tends to be kids who are less than two years of age. Mm -hmm. um, those kids seem to have more severe um, symptoms, especially from a respiratory standpoint. Um, as you get older, hopefully you're going to do better with it and it's going to disappear a little bit faster just because your immune system's a little bit more skilled at taking care of it um, in a timely fashion, but other older people, so people who have asthma, people have underlying lung disease, people who have underlying cardiac disease, and then people mm -hmm. older than like 65, 70, they can also get hit pretty hard with it. Okay. Do you have toddlers that will be entering preschool soon? Do you know where to start looking for the preschools? Do you feel a little bit overwhelmed maybe? Well, Duluth Mom is here to help you out. We have pulled together a bunch of preschools in the Northland and put them all into one place for you in our Guide to Preschools and Early Childhood Services in Duluth. Go to our website at www.theduluthmom.com and check it out. So when I'm looking ahead at my questions, that kind of answered one question too about a mom who was talking about um, her child had RSV and then it must have just kept spreading down and then she had issues in other parts of her body with yeah. illnesses and that would be, it just kept spreading and yeah, kind of making its way down. Yeah, and that yeah. I think the question was specifically about transient synovitis. And yeah. that is a pretty common thing that we see, not just after RSV, but after any kind of viral illness. It's mm -hmm. not it's not exactly the virus that causes the infection or the inflammation in your joints mm -hmm. or your tendons or your ligaments. It's um it's your immune system kind of revs up and then it doesn't know when to stop itself. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, so you can get some. Um, inflammation in other parts of your bodies. We see it a lot in younger kids where they can get it in their feet, their knees, their hips, where they just are really sore. Your kid mm -hmm. might have a limp. Um, okay. They might be kind of complaining of, of joint pain, hip or knee pain, and they might be limping, but they're often um, otherwise really looking pretty good. They're not having high fevers. They're eating and drinking okay. They're not having other symptoms. And so that's kind of something we see after a viral infection. And it's part of the process of the immune response being a little bit over robust. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then when one mom asked about, she heard a friend's child was um, treated with antibiotics and her child wasn't, it has to do with just the bronch would you, the, the bronchitis, bronchitis, the bronchiolitis itself, <laughs> and just like what other maybe infections are secondary, like coming yeah, along sure. with that. Yeah, okay. exactly. When we see a kid and we're evaluating a, a baby or a child for, um, RSV for bronchiolitis, we take a lot of things into account. So we'll, we'll look at um, what kind of symptoms they're having. So the often the early kind of symptoms are just some fussiness, runny nose, um, low grade fevers, not feeding very well, mm. um, just seeming kind of sleepy and not really themselves. That's usually the first couple of days. After that, um, they start to develop a more significant runny nose and a very severe cough. The cough just sounds like this hacking old man cough or mm. old woman. And, um, <laughs> I don't take care of old people. <laughs> Anyone over like 18 that I'm totally done with. So, um, but you'll, 
it's this it's just very dramatic cost it just doesn't sound like it should belong to a small child mm -hmm. um it's not often described as like that barking seal cough that's croup that's a different mm -hmm. kind of virus um same kind of family where it still causes the same types of symptoms but it's a different sounding cough um, and then kids just usually they they cough really hard. They go into kind of coughing spells where they look really, really miserable. And then they might recover from those. Oftentimes they'll be breathing kind of fast and hard. Mm -hmm. And the most common reason that people bring their kids in is probably just they notice their kid was breathing really hard at home. Mm -hmm. And um, and so that's what we evaluate them for. Um, also can come along with dehydration, because as you imagine, mm -hmm. if your your little one's really not feeling well, they don't eat very well. Um, especially kind of breast and bottle fed babies in that first year of life. Um, when they're not eating well, they have decreased wet diapers. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's another thing that parents usually notice fairly early on that we look for. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see, redirect me so, for a second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So when they're noticing the signs of maybe dehydration, maybe darker diapers, less diapers, yeah. not wanting to eat, maybe a little more lethargic, Maybe yeah. not coughing really loud if they're little babies, but um, would they start with um, messaging or calling their primary care provider first, or would you suggest a mom just brings their parent or the patient, the child, into an urgent care setting? Yeah, good question. Right so away. I think that it a couple things um, that I would think about if I was say on the phone with somebody who was calling me about their child and and wanting to know what their next steps were. Um, one of them, is your kid otherwise a healthy kid? Were they born on time? Do they have underlying mm -hmm. lung problems? Because that's going to make a difference in terms of how kind of quickly we need to act. Um, and then talking through symptoms. If the majority of the symptoms are there's some fever, there's some cough, but they generally look comfortable, um, they're eating okay, they're making at least four to six wet diapers a day, then I'd say as long as you're comfortable as a parent, um, it's probably okay to just kind of continue to monitor at home. Mm -hmm. um, focus on pushing fluids, Tylenol and ibuprofen for discomfort and for fevers. And um, just there's not a ton that we can do to support their respiratory status. Um, if they're over one year of age, you can use some like liquid honey or you can use mm -hmm. um, honey on a cracker or honey on a toast or something like that. Obviously, we don't mm -hmm. give honey to babies under a year mm -hmm. old because of the risk of botulism. But um, that actually has been proven in scientific studies. Honey's been as effective as other over-the-counter cough medicines mm -hmm. that um, we don't usually recommend for little kids. Okay. And then okay. the reasons that I for sure want to see a kid um, and have them evaluated, either if they're able to get an appointment with their primary care doctor, that would be great, going to an urgent care or see them in the emergency department would be if they're not making up to four wet diapers a day that would be a concern that they're significantly dehydrated. Um, if they are breathing faster than about 60 times a minute, so if you put your hand on your kid's chest and you can feel them breathing really, really fast and you're counting it and it seems like they're taking a breath more than every second, that would usually be a reason that I would wanna see them. If your kid is breathing faster than 60 times in a minute and they're smiling and happy as a clam, it's probably okay for a little while. <laughs> Um, probably okay to, to watch it, but if your kid looks miserable and they're breathing mm. faster than 60 times in a second, then really the best option is to be evaluated by a medical provider, get a set of vital signs, make sure their oxygen levels look okay. Um, and those are kind of the main reasons. If at any point your baby looks blue around the mouth or your child looks blue around the mouth, definitely go straight to the emergency department. 
um, because the oxygen levels can get low enough that it can be pretty severe. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The other thing that I'll say with that, and one of my favorite kind of points to talk about with kids and viruses is that fever um, is a very common symptom with RSV and all the other viruses that we're seeing this time of year. Fever is not dangerous to your child, so I'm not concerned if you, kids are remarkable. They can get fevers up to like 104, 105, and that doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be any kind, that doesn't necessarily mean that the illness is more severe. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's a bacterial infection in addition to the virus. Um, and there's not a temperature that your baby's body is going to get to from a fever that's going to cause any kind of brain damage or any kind of permanent um, problems that you will see. So fever in and of itself is just a sign that the body's doing its job to fight off the infection. But the other thing about fever is that it makes your baby look really, really crummy. Um, mm. Babies look pale. They breathe really fast. Their heart rate is really fast. They can hardly open their eyes. They're so sleepy. Um, and so one thing... If you're concerned about your baby, always bring them in. We'd always rather see them than not see them. Mm -hmm. But if you feel like you've got some time, it's also a good idea to try giving Tylenol. If they're less than six months of age, they can only have Tylenol. But if they're over six months, they can have Tylenol and ibuprofen. And um, it's a good idea to try and bring that fever down even before coming to the emergency department, even before trying to seek care. We don't need to see the fever. We trust you mm -hmm. if your kid had a fever, but that can bring all of those things can start to look a lot better by bringing the fever down. So if I'm worried about one of my own kids, I'll start, um, I'll give Tylenol and ibuprofen and all of a sudden they look like a new kid. 30 minutes mm -hmm. later, they totally bounce back and then I'm less worried about them. But um, fever can definitely make, um, temperature uh, can make respiratory rate faster it can make heart rate faster and it can just make kids look really really crummy really really lethargic so um while a fever is safe for your child i do think it can be very helpful to bring the fever down just to make sure we're getting a good picture of how sick this kid is mm -hmm. so a kid with a fever who looks really crummy doesn't scare me nearly as much as a kid who does not have a fever and who looks really crummy that's a good point and i think that would um be helpful for moms to distinguish between allergy symptoms and RSV symptoms, where if your kid's just sniffling and doesn't have any other symptoms along yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. You could probably allergies. Yeah, but. exactly. So sniffles, um, red eyes, itchy eyes, um, sniffles, runny nose, even a little bit of cough um, or sneezing is probably okay. Even some ear fullness, they might describe like mm -hmm. ear pain and you're like, oh, we have an ear infection or something. All of that can just be kind of respiratory. It just be kind of like allergy, allergic rhinitis. It can be just kind of a fullness of the whole head and neck region. Mm -hmm. I'll have that feeling. Um, but if they're not having fevers, if they're not having a cough, that's kind of like keeping them up at night. If they're not having um, difficulty eating or drinking, then you're probably okay. There's also, there are over-the-counter allergy medicines like Zyrtec and, and Claritin and stuff that if you're suspicious that your kid has allergies, you can try that as well. Yeah. Want to learn more about Duluth Mom? We would love to have you join our Instagram community handle at Duluth Moms and check out our website at www.thedeluthmom.com. How long um, are you contagious compared to when you have symptoms or yes. when the symptoms go away? Yeah, it's a, it's a sort like? of tricky question because 
um, like we said before, if it takes your immune system so long to catch up to the fact that it has a virus and the first few times you get it, it takes your immune system a lot longer than it does in like an older healthy individual. So the little babies are probably infectious longer than older kids and adults are, but um, they say you're most infectious between day three and day eight of infection. Mm -hmm. Tricky thing is that you often won't even have symptoms for the first day or two, or you won't necessarily notice that you're infected. So you can be spreading it before you have symptoms. And um, I think the typical kind of rule in terms of decreasing spreads in daycares and back at school and stuff is you should have no fever for more than 24 hours, probably ideally closer to 48 hours with no Tylenol or ibuprofen, bringing that fever down. And you should um, basically be back to your normal self, be able to kind of tolerate a full work day, be eating and drinking normally. Um, if you have a little bit of residual cough, that might be expected, but really you shouldn't be having fevers anymore. And you should be eating and drinking and having a normal energy level before you go back to school. I think that's one of the things that we've we've actually gotten really good at, unfortunately, in the last few years is kind of self-assessing, like, do I feel sick and do I want to be around other people who feel sick? So in terms of like getting together for holidays and stuff, it's a really, really difficult choice. And I think we've all been in the position where there's something we really want to do, people we really want to see, holidays that we really want to celebrate and and spend time together. And I think the one thing we really should kind of, everybody's going to have their own comfort level in terms of exposure risks and stuff like that. But um, I think that keeping babies, especially in that first year of life, um, being pretty cautious about having them around other people who are sick, showing symptoms of illness. Um, we know masking works for all kinds of viruses. So yeah, that's um, true. You know, yeah. people who have RSV can slow and stop the spread of RSV by wearing a mask. So um, there's a good chance that if there's an adult who's got cold symptoms that they haven't been tested, we don't know whether it's RSV, whether it's any of the other um, viruses. Um, so, you know, better safe than sorry, probably playing it a little bit on the safe side that if there are people who have a known illness or known infection that we kind of keep babies away from them. Uh, mm -hmm. Lots and lots of hand washing. Um, and certainly I always say, even for like new parents who are taking babies home, would not recommend face kissing for mm -hmm. babies. I say face kissing is probably only for mom and dad, um, if that, as long as mom and dad aren't, aren't sick, but probably mm -hmm. no face kissing, no hand kissing for babies. I think for siblings and other people, the back of the head and the bottom of the feet are probably the safest place to kiss. They're the farthest yeah. away from the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and, the nose. yeah. and so the mouth and the nose are like where the virus kind of enters. So um, yeah. the same kind of reasonable precautions that we were doing with COVID Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, it is everywhere right now. You're probably mm -hmm. being exposed every time we go to the store, all of our older kids who are in school are probably coming home with exposures and having just such mild symptoms that we don't register it. Like, um, mm -hmm. you know, be cautious and take reasonable precautions about meeting with family, but also know that you can't eliminate the risk completely. Um, mm -hmm. almost 100% of babies have been exposed to RSV by the age of two years. Wow. You probably take very long. <laughs> you probably <laughs> won't avoid it completely. Um, yeah. The infection can be really severe when kids are younger. So, you know, we want to do our best not to spread it in that age group. But the fact yeah. of the matter is pretty much everyone gets it. <laughs> and yeah. 
just going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Just be prepared. What we're talking about right now, we're saying kids two and under usually have the most yeah. severe infections. Those are the kids that we're the most worried about in terms of um, how they do from a breathing standpoint. And also 100%, almost 100% of kids have had RSV by the time they're two. two. Um, wow. So during that time, they will get RSV. Yeah. I would say that if you baby wear and your baby's comfortable with that, like, even though you're in the home and you might be able to hold having the baby in the carrier is going to deter people from passing the baby around. Yeah. Yeah. And touching them and getting kind of in your bubble. So I would just recommend moms to do that. And then yeah, that was me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I go away. Yeah. I've seen a lot of cute stickers like on car seats or on car seat covers or, you know, that you can kind of put on the front of your carrier that says like, please be respectful of my space. I'm a baby and I don't want to get RSV or, you know, like, yeah, don't kiss the baby. Those kinds of signs that can be kind of cute, but can also be good reminders um, that not everybody, you can go to Thanksgiving without everybody holding baby. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I think that we also learned in the last couple of years that community is really important and family is really important and having that connection is really important. So I don't advocate that people like completely cut mm-hmm. themselves off and isolate themselves. But I do for yeah. sure think that just um, reasonable precautions and honestly, nobody really needs to hold the baby except for maybe mom and dad, especially at an event where there's going to be there's going to be some germs. Yeah. Yeah. So we definitely want moms to feel um, kind of empowered and prepared yeah. with all of this medical information. But yeah. then also just know that you're the mom and you usually almost always know best and that you totally have the permission to make those boundaries when yeah. you are in public. And then also I would maybe suggest in my household when I have people coming over or I know there's just stuff going around, I take away the hand towels and I just use disposable towels because that kind of eliminates, um, yeah, just the bodily fluid, everything, the germs. And then, you know, wiping down surfaces because our is longer on hard surfaces. So like doorknobs, um, doorknobs, faucets, faucets countertops that kind of thing those mm-hmm. are the things that um the virus is going to live on the longest it does live on um, soft stuff too like the hand mm-hmm. towels that like you talked about lives longer on the hard surfaces so making sure you've got those bleach wipes out yeah um, and and also the other thing is just even having like hand sanitizer around because then before they even touch you know the mm-hmm. towel before they touch the doorknob to leave we know hand sanitizer is really effective and people don't always do the best job washing their hands for at least 20 yes. minutes so yeah. Kind of an uh, easy double have that around. Yeah. Yeah. And if anyone's feeling shy, they can just say Dr. Edlin said no. Yep. <laughs> True. I, True. I, before people leave the hospital with their newborns I, during COVID, especially, and then now I say just like, just tell them I said so. No baby. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The doctor said. <laughs> the doctor said. That's great. Some people were asking why. RSV isn't treated with nebulizers anymore. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, actually. So I'll talk about that quickly too. Um, but we so RSV is a respiratory virus that's caused by a virus. So it's not kind of part of your body. It's just a virus that causes your um, the lining of your lungs to get really inflamed, and it causes a lot, a lot of mucus, and that's what causes most of the problems. So Mm -hmm. in patients who actually have asthma, who benefit from albuterol, um, the problem isn't so much the lining of their lungs as it's actually the tissue in the kind of space between the lungs. It's like if you pinch your skin here, Mm -hmm. you have like this soft part of the skin. 
Um, yeah. In somebody with RSV, maybe you just have like a blister or you have like a rash on your skin. But in somebody with um, asthma, you actually feel a thickening and a swelling in between the layers of skin. So it's actually the tissue is swelling and edematous. And so what albuterol does is it decreases that swelling. And in most patients with bronchiolitis, that swelling isn't present. So mm -hmm. the albuterol doesn't, in patients who have asthma, in patients who are underlying, like have a predisposition to asthma, they have a family history of asthma or eczema who have previously responded to albuterol, there might be some degree of tissue swelling that will benefit from getting the albuterol or from the steroids. So there are specific patients who do benefit from it. The majority of patients, um, that's, it doesn't target where the inflammation is. So the RSV, again, is just kind of the surface is, if you picture like the surface of your lung lining, it's almost like it's rashy. It's kind of broken down. It's a little bit swollen on the outside there. And there's tons and tons of boogers. There's tons and tons of mucus. And that's what's making it difficult to breathe. Whereas in asthma, where we typically use albuterol, um, the problem is actually within the tissue, within the lining. And it's this swelling that's developed kind of around the blood vessels and between where we're doing gas exchange. So the majority of people, even if we give albuterol, it won't, it doesn't help. It doesn't, it doesn't improve the wheezing. You often hear a ton of wheezing in little kids who have RSV, who have mm -hmm. like this bronchiolitis. That's kind of the hallmark of this virus is that you hear a lot of wheezing, this like really forceful push of air out. But oftentimes it's just not caused by the same thing that causes, um, asthma. So those medications don't help. They tend to be pretty safe, but they can also mm -hmm. make your heart rate go up really high and make you mm -hmm. kind of feel irritable. And so if we, if we don't think that they're going to help in somebody, then we don't tend to use them. Okay. And all of that is to kind of say that um, assessing patients with respiratory issues, respiratory distress, as we call it, and assessing kids who have bronchiolitis, it really it kind of has to be a medical professional. Like I can't even mm -hmm. give a good assessment of my own children when I'm in the state where like I've got a sick kid. I can't even look mm -hmm. at my own kid and tell you if they're super sick or not. I have to have a medical professional look at my kid and say, this is what the vital signs look like. These are the very specific subtle findings that I'm seeing with this patient that are different from what I'm seeing in this patient. So there are mm -hmm. kids who get RSV and also get a bacterial pneumonia. There's some signs and symptoms that we look for that distinguish the two. Oftentimes we have to do a chest x-ray um, mm -hmm. to get to the bottom of that. Sometimes we do lab work. And so if you also have a bacterial illness, then antibiotics may help. So some people will go home from the hospital with antibiotics. Mm -hmm. um, if the patient has, <clears throat> oftentimes before we send somebody home with albuterol prescription, we'll test them in the emergency department and say, did their breathing improve significantly mm -hmm. when we gave the albuterol? Um, did they have risk factors for having asthma? And then did their breathing improve significantly when we gave the albuterol? And if it did, then we'll send you home with that medication. If there's anything that we can do to help kids feel better faster, we would, to we totally mm -hmm. do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they've studied for years and years and years. What are the best things that we can do for kids with bronchiolitis? And there's just nothing. Mm -hmm. Suctioning, suctioning out their nose. So using a nose Frida is my personal favorite mm -hmm. with those green cookie suckers the best. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit of like nasal saline spray and sucking it, sucking out the yeah. nose, especially before feeding or before sleeping. Um, Tylenol and ibuprofen to help with the fever and keep them more comfortable so that they can stay hydrated. And that's pretty much all we have. If they yeah. have significant respiratory distress, we really need to see them and 
and rule out that there's any reason that they need to be hospitalized. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. You mentioned the honey to add oh, yes. comfort to, and yes. then probably just yes. rest, rest, yes. just let them chill, let them yes. rest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds so great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today yes. to go through the questions and to help moms just feel more confident in the information that they know and how to parent and what to watch for um, with yeah. their children and yeah. where they can go. They're not alone. Yeah. A lot of people are going through it right now. Yeah, It's helpful to talk to others to hear mm -hmm. what experiences they're going through, but yeah. just keep in mind that each kid is going to be experiencing something different, treated yeah. differently. Yeah. And yeah, it's just and you're, you're the season. Is, yeah, you're, you're just the season. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> is super, super important. And if you don't feel yes. like kids doing well, we really do want to see them. And I definitely have kids who get to the emergency department. They look really, really crummy. They get Tylenol and ibuprofen and then they look like a million bucks. And the mom's like, I'm so embarrassed. Why am I here? And I'm mm. like, there's no way you could have made that decision. An hour ago, yes. I was scared for how bad your kid looked, you mm -hmm. know, and I, I see these kids all day, every day. Like this is, this is my job is to assess them. Like you really do you know, don't feel silly. Don't feel stupid for coming in with your kid with respiratory viruses. Like it can be really serious and it can be really scary. So we're here to help kind of sort that out. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you for helping in the community and yeah. just helping ease mom's minds a yeah, bit. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing your information. Thank you so much for listening today. My hope is that this podcast will be something you look forward to each week. I'm really excited to connect with you in this way. See you, neighbor.